Well, I got to be honest with you. It's been um, it's been hard putting together this sermon, and uh, for a lot of different reasons. One of the biggest reasons is because in my mind, I try to think of what people want when they come to church. You know, I know once some people want a very polished guy. They want a guy whose words are bring a tear to their eye, and that's not me. I tried to do it. My nephew made fun of me. I tried to look good. I uh, think sometimes people come and they want, and they want the scriptures just eloquently explained. I think people just want to show, you know, make me laugh. <laughs> Man, he was funny today. And then I thought, Chris, what do you want? If you would come to church, and if you're not a preacher or you just kind of sneak in the back, haven't been to church in years, what would you want? I just really want two things. I want the guy up here telling me the truth. And I want a guy up here who really believes what he's saying. Like really believes it. And that's what I've been praying for today. I hope that that happens. And before we do, I just ask you to bow with me. Just I really hope this is a blessing to you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. In some ways, uh, when we come to Easter, it becomes a tradition for some. Some people dress up, feel good that they dressed up and go home and eat a lot. Sometimes Easter is it's just another weekend that we're busy, just trying to get through it. Some people come because honestly, God, they want to know, do you have anything to say to them for them to believe. I pray that, God, you would make this a time when, in a way, we could separate the world, the noise, and just listen to your word and focus on your son. He's amazing. So please answer that prayer. Give me words that uh, are truthful but sincere. In your name we pray. Amen. Jared started the sermon this morning, and uh, or the service this morning this way, and you know the answer. When I say, He is risen, you say? So when I say, He is risen, you say? Have you ever wondered, why do we make such a big deal about that? Okay, He's risen, so what? Seriously. In a way, if I was a guy coming in again, like I said, I, I want truth, I want sincerity, but also I'm kind of cynical. I, I have heard that religion, anybody who thinks about heaven too much is not, you know, they're not any good for the earth because they're so heavenly minded. Isn't resurrection just about getting to heaven? I mean, what's the big deal? What about today? Truthfully, the reason why resurrection is such a big deal because death really is a big problem. It really is. And the reason why death is such a problem is because it's so final. I find, honestly, this is going to be the theme of this message. I believe how you think about eternity has more to do with how you live today than anything else. How you think about eternity has more 
to do with how you live today and anything else. If there is no eternity, if the resurrection means nothing, and the six feet of dirt is all we have, this world is stupid. I mean, why did you come? This is a charade. It's a charade. If there's no resurrection, Paul says, eat, drink, and party. Because you are, your life doesn't mean anything. So why, why not just be a fool? That's what he's saying. Because you don't get anything in return if that's all you got is dirt. But what if, and you have to seriously consider this, what if everything I do God is keeping a record of? What if everything I do matters? What if there are only certain people that do make it to eternal life? That's pretty big. That's why resurrection matters. See, the, I think the reason why, in a way, church has kind of been dying in America, or even that big word resurrection doesn't mean much to people, is because to us, death, death has kind of been more of a game. It's either we, we like to watch TV shows, CSI Miami, oh, how did, how did that guy die? Wow, look at that corpse, isn't he interesting? Well, we like zombies. I like zombies. Zombies are kind of cool. Everybody dresses up as zombies. It's neat to be a zombie these days. Or what we've done with death is we've put a lot of makeup on it. It's cosmetics. If you come to a funeral and the coffin's here, boy, doesn't she look good? No, she's dead. Seriously. I can remember when I was in Russia, my wife and I went to a couple funerals. At the end of the funeral, that people would actually, before the funeral, the family would dig the grave. After the funeral, they'd put this box in, and people would take dirt and start throwing it in with their own hands to say, this is real. It's real. Like when my dad died 10 years ago, I can remember we had two visitation services from 2 to 4, 6 to 9. And my parents and family went out to dinner in between, and I just said, I just want to sit, and I just want to be alone. Because I wanted to see my dad for the last time. And I went up, and I remember touching his hand, and it was room temperature. I remember looking at his face, like getting really close to his face, and it was just leather. It wasn't my dad. Death is weird. To the Bible, for people in the Bible, death was almost an everyday thing. And to people in the Bible, it stunk. To people in the Bible, it's called a sting. And to people in the Bible, it, it separated you from those you love. It's something we got to defeat. Jesus took it deadly serious. And when Jesus came into town, he said, all of you are going to die. But you know what? There's going to be a day when every single one of you, your grave is going to be opened. And you are going to rise. Every one of you. So the title of this is basically, I'm just trying to, going to be simple. I'm going to try to be as truthful and simple as possible. The title of this is Empty Tombs, and the reason why it's called Empty Tombs is I think we have this assumption that just a few people are going to rise. Do you know everybody is? Listen to Jesus. This is John chapter 5, 25 
28 and 29. I've got the verse up here if you want to follow along, you can. Before we get to this passage, Jesus was, he just, he just a guy was lame. He raised him up. The guy starts dancing. And they're like, hey, you can't do that. It's Sabbath. He can do, I, I, can, I can do whatever I want. I'm the Father's son. I am equal to the Father. And to prove it, there's a lot of things I can do. And then he ends with this. This is his big crescendo to prove that he's the Son of God. And it's a pretty big deal. Here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, and that means I'm not lying, an hour is coming and is now here. What does that mean? When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It's kind of odd. The second part, I think, you don't hear too often. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, all, all who are in the tombs, will hear his voice and come out. Wow, all? Yeah. But watch, they don't go to the same place. Those who have done good go to the resurrection of life. Those who do evil So to make this simple, it's only two parts. We're going to talk about what does he mean by the dead? What does he mean will live? So we're going to first talk about the dead. The word that Jesus uses in John 5 is this word that literally means a lifeless corpse. A lifeless corpse. Everyone will be a lifeless corpse someday. That's what he's saying. We will go back to our original elements. I like to think of it like this. If you ever gone camping in a tent, you go out in the woods, and there's your tent. You have a fire in the front, you have a lantern inside, maybe you've got some sleeping bags, you have some Fritos in there, some marshmallows, there's all kind of life, a lot of fun stuff is going on. And then your dad tells you it's time to go home, pack up the tent. You pack up the tent, put it in the, put it in the van, go home, you take the tent, and you put it on the hook in the garage. That's what he's talking about It's going to happen to your bodies. It's going to be like this tent that no longer has fire and light in it anymore. There's no more fun. There's no more joy. It's just a dead piece of clay. It's a tent. That's what dead means. In this passage and also in other passages, there's three kinds of death. And death isn't just a corpse, but it also means separation of the soul. There is Physical death, which is the tent in the garage. That's where your soul is separated from your body. So when I saw my dad, my dad's soul wasn't there. That's why I'm telling you it wasn't my dad. That's separation from the body. There's then spiritual death. Spiritual death is the soul is separated from the life of God. Actually, when does that occur? When you're born? It says we are all born in sin. And because of sin, we are dead, spiritually speaking. And then if you physically die while you're spiritually dead, you will experience eternal death. Soul being separated from eternal redemption. Separated from eternity of having a brand new body. Actually, eternal life is your soul will be fashioned together with no longer a tent in a garage, but a house 
that is firm and will never be moved. It says in 1 Corinthians, you'll be immortal. That means you'll never die. You will be incorruptible. That means you'll never fall apart again. So if you have a bad back or cancer, or you have bad teeth like me, you'll be able to chew steel, man, and you won't lose your tooth. Man, I chew a Twizzler and a tooth drops out. It's crazy. Your body will be just like power. All right, so that eternal death, though, is when you are fashioned with a body that is not meant for heaven, but for punishment. In biblical language, death is a horror. The physical reality is to show the spiritual and eternal realities. It's a bad thing. We are to hate it. We are to realize when God told Adam in the garden, if you eat this fruit, you will surely die, he wasn't kidding. I think we kind of think God was just bantering around with Adam. Hey, I just got to go to, if you eat that, you're going to die. Don't touch it. No, he's like, Adam, don't. Why? Because people will die. I've got here plaques since I've been working here of people from this church who have died. Dead. People who would sit right there. I was reading some of them first service. People like, you probably know the name, Barb Van Houten. Her son came up to me after service and said, thanks for, thanks for talking about my mom. I miss her. He's weeping about it. Lauren Dudley, he was a great guy. Larry Mont- Remember Larry Montgomery? It feels like I just saw him. He used to greet right there. Where is he? Is this it? They just die? They- so you take Wilson Crudolf, a guy who is known to this town, you just bury him and that's it? See ya. Done. Death wins. Really? Jesus says all people die. If that's it, we are most men most miserable. But he doesn't finish. He says, the dead, the dead in you who die will live. That is strange to me. How will they live? And who gets to live in heaven? And who gets to go to hell? He tells us this. It's very simple. So how do we live? Look at what it says in John 5.25. Truly, truly, I say to you, An hour is coming. and It is now here. And this is really, I think, more with regards to spiritual death than any gets to physical death later. But the hour is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So you have a dead corpse. How is that dead corpse going to rise? God's voice. The same voice that looked into the void of nothing and created a world teeming with light. The same voice. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, 
And through him was not anything made that has been made. That's the word. His name is Jesus. So what about our dead bodies? Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 37. I think it's something like this because scholars reference this passage when you go to John 5. Here's what it says, Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out into the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy or speak over these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Sounds kind of silly, just speak to dead bones. But he does. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I spoke, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Say to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet. Stood on their feet. In this passage, it's specifically talking about how God is going to gather back the nations of Israel back to the Jerusalem, but in John 5, if you notice this voice, it says in verse 28, is going to affect all people. It says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. So everybody will be raised. That's amazing. If you believe he can create the world with just his voice, don't you think he can raise you? People are like, that's a crazy miracle. Come on, raising the dead. Crazy miracle making the earth with mountains and plants and flowers and babies by the word of his mouth? Man, raising you is nothing. Like nothing compared to that. So the question then is, who gets to go where? Am I going to go to eternal life? Or am I going to go to judgment? And judgment in biblical parlance says this, Daniel 12, 2. Those, will, many will sleep in the dust of death. Some will be raised to everlasting life. Then it says some will be raised to everlasting shame and contempt. That means they will be raised from their tombs. They will be given bodies that will be placed in a place where they will suffer for eternity. That's terrible. That's what it says. But I kind of want to know, how do I get to the place where I don't suffer? That's my question. How do I get to live eternally? That, that matters to me. Hopefully it matters to you. So he gives us the answer right here. Verse 29. Do not marvel this, for an hour is coming when all in the tombs will hear his voice, and they'll come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. So if you do good, you get to go to spend eternity with God forever. So do you do good? Now that has to be defined a little bit more. What does good mean? Because there's a vast difference between that's good ice cream and I have a good marriage. 
It's a little bit different. So what does it mean? The word itself, the definition, when Jesus said those who do good, good things go to live eternally, that word good means beauty, it means excellence, and it means righteousness. But it also means this, that which fully satisfies a holy God. That's the kicker. See, if it's just good means beautiful, then when I look in the morning, I pass in the mirror. I pass. I'm in. If it means excellent, if I play my son in basketball and beat him in horse, I, I'm in. I'm excellent, see? Righteousness, ah, that's a little bit tough. But what satisfies a holy God? Have I ever done that? That's what you have to honestly evaluate. Here's how you evaluate it, because there's all kind of different goods. The first one, you could say, are you somebody who's done religious good? Religion to the point that satisfies God. I mean, think about that. And that has to be really good. Yeah, I go to church, and I dress up for Easter. I tithe every once in a while. pretty good I say some prayers at meal see I'm religiously good yeah but have you ever read James's criteria of religiously good it's James 2:10. listen to it it's it's kind of strict it says in verse 10 forever keeps the whole law well first of all what's the whole law the whole law of Moses so if you've ever said the Lord's name in vain you failed if you've ever um Missed a Sabbath and you've worked on a Sabbath, you failed. If you've ever looked at a woman and lusted after her, you've offended the law. Have you ever got angry at anybody? Jesus says that's murder according to the law. But it says this. Even after that, you can say, yeah, I'm, I, I'm good, religiously good. It says whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. It's called the Titanic theory. If you have this grand boat that will never sink, man, this thing's an amazing boat. But all it takes is one hole to cause it to sink. If you've said the Lord's name in vain one time, you're done. Some of you are like, oh, all right, all right, I don't make that criteria. But there is a sincerely good category, isn't there? I mean, there's, I know, I, I know I don't do good with the law, but, you know, the law doesn't matter too much anymore, you know? The law is Old Testament. I, I am a sincerely good person. I'm telling you, really, are you that sincere? It's so funny when, if I do... And I'm not mad about this. I'm just telling you the truth. Remember, you want somebody tells you the truth and sincere. When you do premarital counseling, a young couple will come in and they want your approval as the pastor. So they'll often say, we're going to go to your church, which really I don't care that much, but they'll say, we'll keep going to church. We'll do this and that. We'll do this. And then the moment they say, I do, they go back to their drinking. They never come back to church and they flat out lied to you. But in the moment they tell you they sincerely mean it, you really don't mean it, really. 
Romans 10.4 talks about Jewish believers like this. Actually, it's two. Romans 10.1 and 2, Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire is that the Jews might be saved. He was a Jew himself. He wanted them to be saved. And he says, For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but it's not based on knowledge. He's saying they are zealous, but their zealousness is not right. They are sincerely wrong. When um, actually I was talking with you, Joe, and you're talking about, and you go to Israel, you'll see these Jewish people who are sincerely religious. They're by the wailing wall. You know, they pray like this, they pray like this, and they've been praying like that for years and years. But then right across the thing, there's sincerely religious Muslims over there. Are those guys right? Well, no, they bomb people, but they sincerely believe it. Sincerity doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. Have you ever driven something somewhere and you thought you're sincerely going the right way and you your wife's like, we're not going the right, I know I am. No, you're not. I'm not going to stop. You're sincerely wrong. So maybe that is a little, uh, that's a tough criteria. How about the next one? The next one's there's a comparative goodness. Comparatively, I'm really good. Well, who do you usually compare yourself to? Well, the guy, uh, Hitler. I, I'm better than Hitler. I mean, come on. I don't know about that. Sometimes I'm not, but I'm better than him. I'm better than that guy who gets drunk all the time. I'm better than those actors. I know I'm better than Kim Kardashian. Let's face it. I just think I, I think I am. Maybe not. I don't know. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, at the point you judge other people, if you do what you're judging them for, you are guilty. So if I don't like it when people lie to me, and if I've ever lied to somebody, I am guilty under my own standards. I don't like it when people talk behind my back. Have you ever talked behind somebody's back? I don't like it when people don't pay me back. Have you ever not paid somebody back? At every point, you are judging people and comparing people that you're better than them. If you've ever failed at your comparison basis towards anybody else, you're guilty. Well, Let's mark that one off. That's not a good one either. How about the next one? Wishful good. Oh, man, I, I'm crossing my fingers that I make it in. I just hope I do. Man, I hope I make it. This, is a, this, this one I think people use for so many things. Truthfully, I can remember when my dad was... Uh, I, w I was given a call by my mom. My mom, my dad was rushed off to the hospital. I knew he had a bad heart. But I just, oh man, I'm just hoping he's going to make it. I just know he's going to make it. Why? Because I just know he's going to make it. I'm hoping. I'm wishing he's going to make it. I just think he's going to. I want him to make it. So because I'm wishing, I'm hoping. But he didn't make it. Because the reality was he had a bad heart. And he had a heart attack. And my wishing didn't do anything. Some people really are crossing their fingers hoping that God's a good God and doesn't care what I do. It's funny in Romans 1.20 it talks about God's righteousness is being revealed and we ignore it and then it says God says, you know what, I've revealed myself so there's no excuse 
There's just no excuse. So that one doesn't work. How about the final good? It's the who cares good. Oh, who cares? Who cares? You're taking your religious too serious. You're taking church too serious. Who cares? Do you know God really cares? Do you know how I can tell God really cares? He killed His Son for you. He killed His Son for you so you could live with Him for all eternity. He doesn't care. Man, He cares. He cares so bad. He gave you His best. And if you just say, eh... Man, if you want to talk about religiously good, Jesus is perfect. You want to talk about sincerely good, Jesus was sincerely good. Peter says every word he said had no deceit whatsoever in it. None. You think he's comparatively good? When he died, the centurion said, surely this is the Son of God. How about wishfully good? Did you know Jesus wanted the cup of crucifixion to be taken from him. He was wishing for it, but he knew he couldn't. He said, not my will, God, but yours be done. He didn't even enter that room. And he cares. Here's, really, if you want to just talk about Easter, what does really matter? When you come here on Easter, we want you to be confronted with the gospel. That's the truth of Jesus. But, not because we're trying to win any, we're not trying to win anything like, wow, look at, look at how many people came forward. And the reason why is because that really happened. Jesus really died. He really died because God really loves you and your sin really is offensive. So then nobody's good, right? There is one more. One more. It's called believing good. This is an amazing thing. Listen to the disciples talking to Jesus. This is John 6. They came up to God, uh, Jesus and they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What works are satisfying or pleasing to God where God's okay with us? What are the good works? That's what they are asking. Jesus replies, you want to know the work of God? It's believe in him. Yeah, but what do I have to believe in him? Why? Here's the reason. He did everything for you because he loves you. And when you believe in him, he applies all of that goodness to you. So then when you are saved, you can't take any credit for it, but all you can do is say, Jesus is amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. Religion's sick. You know why religion's sick? Because we think we are good. Look what I look at how I dressed up today. Who cares? Jesus did everything. And then watch this. To go back to John 5. If you don't believe this is all you need, Jesus confirms it in a verse right before John 5:25. Look at John 5:24.
Jesus is again, he's being sincere. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, why does he say it like that? Remember what raises the dead? The voice of God. So whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. See how he tells you the two places, eternal life and judgment? But if you believe and you hear and believe, hear means Jesus' word opens up your mind, you understand it, and you embrace it. If you do that, you have, the tense is present tense, you have eternal life. It's yours right now. You don't have to worry. That's called believing good. The question is, are you good? Are you? If you're good, which good are you? Some of you really are banking on sincerely good. I know a lot of people bank on that. That would probably be the number one good in our society. I don't need to worry about the law. But you know what? Deep down in my heart, I really know I'm good. Really? Compared to Jesus? I like to often close with a cool story or something that wraps it up. And I, I was thinking through it. I was really praying through it. I don't have a cool story or anything to wrap it up. I really don't. All I have is the day my dad died. That's all I got. The day my dad died, I wasn't, I didn't know how I would act or respond. When my dad would tell me about his father's death, my grandfather, he said for two years he couldn't go to church. He was, he couldn't trust God. For two years he couldn't go to church. So when I was thinking through my dad's death, I, I was wondering, well, how would I respond to my dad's death? And I can remember after hearing that he died, my wife gave me the day off to say, you just need some time to figure this out, be alone. I went to our backyard, had a bonfire, and I thought I'd be mad. I thought I'd really be angry. And I can remember just sitting there, and in my mind are all these thoughts of how good my dad but I knew this. I knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, my dad believes this gospel. I saw it change his life. And because of that, all I could say is thank you. Because I know I'm going to see my dad again. I know it. I'm going to see my best friend again. You can't tell me the resurrection isn't important. You can't tell me that. It's everything. And because of that, I want to live every day for him, for God, for Jesus. Because he did everything. I don't live for him to try to prove anything. He did the law. I don't try to live for him just to be a sincere guy. I live for him because I love him. He did everything for me. My question for you is, you come to church. Why do you come to church? Do you come to try to impress anybody? Or do you come because you really love Jesus? He's that good. Because he is that. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for everything 
that you have done for us. I, I just want to say thank you, God, um, for how, how just clear the Bible is. It's not confusing. It's not written on only for geniuses. It's written for a simple guy like me. And you give us the truth. To be good, all we have to do is believe. Father, in here, I'm, I'm not going to assume everybody believes this. That's crazy. But I am going to assume everybody in here heard this. And so, Father, with the word that they heard, I pray that you would haunt them bother them. Open up their heart to believe in this truth. And we leave it at your feet and let you do your work of salvation. And it's Christ's name we pray.